there was one thing you could change about yourself or get better at, what would it be? Maybe for some of you, it would be to get more disciplined. I mean, isn't three Oreos enough, right? For others, it's to be more patient, especially when we're on I-25 <laughs> driving downtown. I think we all have an answer to the question, but I wonder how many of you would say it's to be more bold? Yusra Mardini was uh, born in Syria, and she fell in love with swimming at a young age. So at about age nine, she and her sister began taking swimming lessons. And living in Syria in a war-torn country, she would have to run from her car to the pool to dodge the shellings and the bombings and always be worried what could happen to their home. And so they lived in that for a number of years. In about 2015, they finally realized it's time to leave Syria and in the midst of this civil war. So her and her sister find out about this kind of smuggling ship that smuggles refugees out of Syria into Europe. And so they decide to embark upon this 25-day journey. They, they get on this boat and they hide in the, in the cargo area to get to Turkey. In Turkey, they get on a smaller boat to cross over the Mediterranean to Greece. Well, it's while they're crossing across the Mediterranean that that boat with 18 people on it, the engine stops and they just are floating in the ocean. And so Yusra and her sister Sarah and one of her dad's friends decide that they're just going to float forever unless they do something about it. So they boldly jumped in the water and swam towed the boat to shore and to safety. Yusra went on to become invited to be a part of the 2016 Rio Olympics as part of a, a new refugee Olympic swim team and has continued to swim. And her story is one of boldness and incredible bravery. Now, I don't know about you, but I love stories like this. I love stories where people are, are, are stepping out of themselves and where they're brave, where they're bold, where they do something that inspires us to want to do something too. Yet, I don't know about you, but there's been so many times in my life when I've noticed that I probably wasn't as brave as I should have been. Anybody else maybe agree with that? Right, there's moments where we say we should have done something different, said something different. When I first met Courtney, we were, met at a Christmas party and, you know, we were flirting and doing all that stuff. And it came time for me to, you know, ask for the number. And, you know, I presented myself as someone who was confident and knew what they were doing. But it came time to ask for that number. And you know what I did? Stalled, right? Any fellas? Yes. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? In that moment, you're like, is she going to say yes? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I, can, if I can handle this kind of failure, right? And so I stall and then she sees it. And so she goes, hey, do you want my number? <laughs> now, wouldn't you know it that I stall again? And I go, oh, I'll, I'll get it from somebody else. <laughs> what a goof, right? And so then, then I come to my right mind. I go, you know, actually, I probably should get them digits, you know? I, and we went on a date. The rest is history. But I think we've all got those moments in life where we wish we would have been more bold. And you guys all have a story. And in your story, you have a moment where you probably weren't as bold as you should have been. Or a moment that you look back and you, you regret. And I wonder, 
in this room, some of us have that when it comes to, to relationships where we didn't ask for the number or we didn't boldly step in when we should have. Some of us, have, it's happened when it comes to work and maybe we didn't put our name in for that promotion or we, we failed in a certain area where we should have stepped up. But I wonder, when it comes to boldness, what about your faith? Do you have a bold faith? You know, it's easy to thumb through the pages of scripture, pull out the Bible and thumb through the pages of the Bible and you just see these characters who are bold. You see Moses walk in to tell Pharaoh, let my, God says, let my people go. You see Esther walk in and tell the king that, that Haman is trying to kill all of the Jews. You see David take on Goliath with a slingshot. You see Daniel in the face of lions in the lion's den. And it's easy for us to go, man, I wish I had the boldness of those people. I wish I had that boldness in my life. I wish that God gave me that personality trait. But you know what's interesting? When you look at the stories of God's people, they weren't born bold. Boldness isn't a personality trait, but it's an intentional effort to be courageous and brave, even when we don't feel like we can be. You, know, you, you look back at those stories and you see that it's really not their boldness that led them to, to be courageous. It was God. Moses told God, God, I don't know how to speak. And God said, I'll go with you. Esther didn't want to go talk to the king because if you talk to the king, the king of Persia, without being asked, you could lose your life, even though she was the queen. But her uncle Mordecai said, Esther, God has prepared you for such a time as this. David took on Goliath, not because David had this bravado, but because David saw God protect him against a lion and a bear as he was a shepherd. He saw God's fingerprints. He knew God would protect him. Daniel? Daniel probably didn't ask for boldness at first when he's faced in the lion's den, but Daniel saw God rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. So you see that God's people that we see in the, book of the, in the books of the Bible aren't just these bold dudes who are awesome or these bold ladies who just have this bravery, but they're people that learn to see and trust God to lead them to that boldness and courageousness. And so I want to ask you, where in your life do you feel like you need to see more boldness? And where do you need to grow in your faith when it comes to boldness? When it comes to living out your faith in a world that scoffs at being Christian, or living out Christian values. Where at high school, you're, you're told that if you haven't tried it, you can't knock it. And we try to stand for these things that we think God says are best for us, but yet the world's gonna say that we are foolish and it's easy for us to keep our mouths quiet or tuck our tails or put our heads down. But could God be telling us to be bold to stand up for Jesus in our own lives? Maybe there's a neighbor that God's been stirring up your heart to invite the church or to say something about Jesus or talk about your faith and you're just not sure. Why do we struggle with boldness so much? See, here's what I think it is. I think it's because we don't truly believe in ourselves that we have the ability to do it. That we don't believe that we have the, the, the answers. We don't believe that we have the charisma or we don't believe that we have what it takes to actually accomplish that goal. But what if you came to the understanding that you don't, but God does. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter four, we are gonna see an incredible account of this very thing. Peter and James 
I'm sorry, Peter and, and James' brother John are out preaching and teaching and they get arrested. And it's really easy for them to go, oh, no, God, this is too much for me. This is a little too scary, God. I don't think I'm ready for this yet. Come back in a year or 10, right? But instead, they lean on not their own strength, but on the strength of God's. And they become so bold, the church grows and becomes this beautiful reality that you and I can experience today. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And I really want to dive into this because I think there's so much we can pull out in our own lives to see that your boldness isn't based on your personality or your character type or whatever voice you have. Your boldness comes from Jesus. So look with me, Acts chapter 4. I want to just move back a little bit in Acts chapter 3. If you've been with us these past couple weeks, we've been walking through the book of Acts in a series called Kingdom Builders, seeing how the church grew. And the church started from Jesus leaving his disciples and his disciples are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit does come as we saw the last two weeks and God's people just get on fire for Jesus and they go and start teaching and telling people about who Jesus was and what he came to do. And so we find ourselves after Pentecost and we've got the disciples and uh, kind of they brought some more guys into the ranks and now you've got Stephen and a guy named Justice that are involved. And then in Acts chapter three, we see that, that Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray and they come across this disabled man. So look with me here in Acts chapter three, verse six. Notice this kind of starts what happens with them getting arrested. So in Acts chapter three, verse six and seven, we see that, that there's a disabled man who's laying by the gate that's called beautiful and that they Peter and John are walking by and they, he calls out to them, hey, can you guys give me some help? Can you guys give me some money? And they, notice what Peter says in verse six. He says, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, people had seen Jesus do miracles, but now we have this account of Peter doing miracles. This is just so cool. In verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and he, he helps him up, right? He's like, I don't have any money for you, but I do have something better. And he grabs him by the right hand and stands him up. And this is a man who's been begging by the gate for so long. And now he's, he's standing and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. How cool is that, right? Could you imagine? There's, there's people around. This is the gate. You ever seen any pictures of Israel? You're going, and these gates are busy as people are going in and out to the temple. This is a man they would have recognized. This is a man that stands. He's now strong. So everybody sees it. And now there's this ruckus that, that's going on. And people are like, did you, did you see? Did you hear? And so Peter goes in and Peter and John go in and they start preaching in what's called Solomon's portico. It's this area outside the temple and they start teaching about Jesus. And notice what happens here in verse, in Acts chapter four, verse one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So Peter and, and John are, are preaching. There's all this ruckus about this man that's been healed. And so they actually go and they arrest them. Peter and James get thrown into prison and it's evening time. So they're not going to be able to talk to any of the religious leaders about what's going on to the next morning. And so they have to spend the night in jail. And what is really 
interesting about this, this starts the beginning of what we see in the Bible as, as persecution. Somebody say persecution. So we really see this moment where the church was flourishing and uh, Pastor Mitch a couple weeks ago talked about the early church and 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost and people are like living life and they're having dinner together and they're doing all these great things. And now we see just a couple chapters later, we don't know how many, is this weeks, days, months later, but we see now Peter and James, Peter and John arrested and persecution begins. And then if you follow the track along in the next coming chapters, you're going to see persecution gets worse and worse quick. So verses, or in chapters four and five, we see Peter and John arrested. Chapter six and seven, we see Stephen, one of the leaders that they, get, they, they raise up in the church, gets stoned to death. Acts chapter 12, John's brother James loses his head. We're going to see next week, Mitch is going to talk about Saul. Saul went around arresting Christians. This is Saul before he turns to Paul. So it's arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, killing Christians. Like immediately things get hot and it's bad. So we're in the midst of this situation here and the disciples, it could have been really easy for them to go, what is going on? But there's also this reality that Jesus had told them multiple times that when you're part of my movement, when you're part of the family of God, you're going to face persecution. When I was in seminary, my, my favorite professor, his name was Dr. Tomlinson. He was the goofy guy, and it was amazing. he was such an amazing teacher. But he would highlight every verse about persecution in the New Testament. And then in his own way, he'd see. He, he'd flip through the pages, and you'd see all the pink. And he'd say, don't you see, everybody? Don't you see? It's hard to be a Christian. Don't you see that there's blood on every page of the Bible? And I think as Christians in America, it's really easy for us to see Christianity and the church as this tidy little thing where, you know, I may not like this church as much, but I think I'm going to like that church over there, right? Man, the coffee at that church isn't very good, but the coffee at Forefront is the bomb, right? <laughs> but I'm telling you guys, in other parts of the world and in and, and the early church coming up, it wasn't the coffee that drew people together. It was the fact that they were on an island together, serving and loving Jesus together. And when you made the decision in the early church to follow Jesus, you pretty much were saying goodbye to being accepted by culture and community, right? Like the church was your new community because your family would disown you. Your, your workplace might kick you out the door and fire you, all these things. You, you were a bad guy because you weren't fitting in with culture. And you see that in our world today still. Here's a map. I want to show you a map that, US, that Open Doors USA puts together. And the dark red is extreme levels of persecution. And then obviously orange is very high. And so you're, you're going to notice if you look, um, th there just are some serious places where the church is persecuted at a ridiculous rate. And this is 2021's numbers, but in 2021, 5,600 Christians died for their faith. I mean, in America, we, we see persecution here for sure, but it's different. I mean, across the world, churches are getting bombed. Across the world, people are getting kidnapped. More than 6,000 people were detained or imprisoned. 4,000 were kidnapped. And, and it's because of Jesus. So it draws people together. And what holds them tight is, is knowing that they got to trust that Jesus is going to protect them in these very difficult parts of the world. But you know what's interesting? In these difficult parts of the world, the gospel is growing and the church is growing and Jesus is changing lives.
You know, if you look back at some of the amazing things that happened in China years ago, um, you, would, you would see that there were hardly any Christians in, in China. There were about 40 years ago, about a million Christians in China. You know how many there are today? Over 100 million. Why is that? Because when the church stands up strong for their faith and they're bold with their faith and the church faces opposition, it's the persecution and the bold faith that fuels the church. You go from 1 million to 100 million in 40 years. In Iran, this is amazing. Iran's a restricted country. You're, you're immediately arrested if you claim to be a Christian. There's over a half million Christians in Iran now. It's one of the fastest growing Christian communities in the world. And so when there is opposition and persecution, the church grows, the church flourishes. And, and part of the reason, I think, is because it helps us realize what's really important and what's not. And it takes us away from getting distracted on all the junk and focusing our eyes on what's important. And that is Jesus and his people and his mission. And so you, you, you see this picture here that bold faith propels the church. That when we have bold faith, it propels the church. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 4. It says that many who heard the word believed. So Peter and, and, and John are preaching and they're preaching about Jesus at Solomon's port, portico and another 2,000 people get saved. Like, isn't this amazing? Like they're standing up, they're getting arrested. They're, they're proclaiming their faith in Jesus and then more people are getting saved. The church is up to 5,000 people now, quickly. And so a bold faith propels the church. And so James and John, they're in prison that night. Look at verse five. It says this. It says that on that night or the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. And so they bring Peter and John in and they're like, what are you guys doing? We see this guy just got healed. We need to know about this. Also, you guys are talking about this Jesus guy that we killed. I thought this was done with, right? I thought we, I thought we figured this out by sending him to the grave, and so they, they say to him, basically, by what power are you doing this stuff? How did you heal this guy? By what power did you do this? And, and, and then Peter goes, well, if you're asking us how this man got healed, you need to know it's not because of us, but it was because of Jesus. And then notice what Peter says in verse 11. This is awesome. He says this. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Talk about boldness, right? Talk about being bold. I mean, they, standing in front of them are the people that can decide their fate. And by the way, these are the people that sent Jesus to the cross. And, and, and they could have easily been, oh, I'm going to shy back a little bit, but they didn't. They're like, look, it's Jesus and only Jesus. And then I love verse 13. Verse 13 is so good. This is like the key verse. If you have your highlighter or your, or your pen, star it, underline it. Notice this. It says in verse 13, that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. So meaning that Peter and John hadn't gone through Pharisee school or Sadducee school or they weren't one of the religious elites. They weren't uh, certified as scribes. They hadn't done all these things, right? They hadn't got any certificates, they were common, regular people. And notice what the end of verse 13 says. And they recognized that they had been with who? With who? Jesus. Isn't it awesome that they, they recognize that, like, man, these guys, like, they didn't go to seminary, but they were with Jesus. And being with Jesus, they're bold. Again, it's not their personality trait. 
they didn't take the Enneagram and they were number seven, right? Wing seven, wing one, like these guys, bold perfectionists. No, these guys were bold because they were with Jesus. Now they're, they're arrested here. And I, I you know, I, I think it's easy for us to think sometimes like you put yourself in their shoes. So if, if you were standing trial for your faith, what would you say? Now, I think we would want to say, man, I want to be bold. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. I'm going to say the right things. But you, that, like, that's a hard spot to be in. Can we all agree? To be standing facing these things? And, and I think a lot of us, we might wonder like, well, this could have stopped the church, right? Like this moment right here could have literally stopped what God was doing if it would have been up to Peter and John. But here's what I love is it wasn't up to Peter and John. Peter and John's boldness didn't come from their own strength. It came from God. Their boldness came from being with Jesus. And Peter and James, and Peter, I keep saying James, Peter and John, why were they so bold? Because they literally saw Jesus die and rise from the grave. You guys remember the night that Jesus was arrested? What does the gospel writers tell us happened to the disciples when Jesus got arrested? got out of there, right? Except Peter and John. Well, Peter denied Jesus and John kind of hid to the side, didn't say anything, but they took off. And then what happened once they, Jesus died, where'd they go? They were hiding in the upper room, right? Until Mary goes and sees the tomb is empty. And so here's Peter and John, two dudes that were super scared, scaredy cats, they ran away, and now they're standing in front of the, the, the Sadducees, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and they're boldly telling them, look, you killed Jesus. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen because they felt good that day. It happens because they saw Jesus rise from the grave. And the same is true for us, guys. If we recognize, we spend time, we spend time with Jesus, as we understand and spend time with God's people, we let the Holy Spirit move in our heart. You know what we realize? Jesus really did rise from the grave. And if Jesus has power over death, what does that mean? That means that God gives us his spirit that gives us the power to be bold. And so we see that in James and we see that in John right here. It doesn't need to be, you don't necessarily need the education. Those are good things. You don't need to be able to solve every apologetic argument. Those are good things. But instead, it's spending time with Jesus that gives us the boldness we need. And so if you're taking notes, just I want us to understand that bold faith is fueled by engaging with Jesus. Like you might say to yourself, man, I wish I was more bold. I wish my faith was more strong. Well, how do you get that? It's not gonna, you don't get it by osmosis. You get it by spending time engaging with Jesus. And we engage with Jesus independently in God's word. It's spending time in prayer. We engage with Jesus like this on Sunday mornings coming together and opening God's word. We engage with Jesus in our small groups and in our life groups. We can engage with Jesus with our family. The question is, are we engaging with Jesus. And so I want you to see this. Look at verse 14. So we see this idea that bold faith is fueled by engaging with Jesus. Notice verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say. The, the Pharisees are like, okay, you said it was Jesus. How do we argue with you, right? He's healed. And, and so they called him and they charged him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They're basically like, hey, Peter, John, don't you dare talk about Jesus anymore or else, right? 
And so, you know, of course, what are Peter and John going to say? But Peter and John, they, they answer and they say, well, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Isn't that awesome? Like when somebody says, hey, what do you know about God? What are you going to say? You're going to tell them what you've seen and heard. Well, I had a friend one time that told me how many people's faith was kind of built around that. Oh, I heard one time it was said, or my mom says, or, or my Sunday school teacher says, Peter and John say, no, this is what I have seen and what I have heard. You need to know for yourself what Jesus has said. Don't take my word for it. Go and read it. Don't take my word. Don't take Mitch's word for it. Go and read it. Like, like, we need to know what Jesus said. Peter and John are like, look, we've seen this. We've heard this. We cannot stop telling people about it. So here's the question. Why aren't we bold in our faith? Could it be that we're not regularly seeing and we're not regularly hearing? You know, it's funny. The way our brains work is, you guys know the phrase out of sight, out of mind, right? You have a friend you haven't seen in a long time, obviously. You, you know, you guys could be best friends, but you haven't seen each other in a long time. You're not really thinking about them as much. You know, the out of sight, out of mind comes into a lot of places in life. You know, the old, what have you done for me lately approach. You guys know this one too, right? It's funny, if you stop eating sugar, all of a sudden carrots start tasting good. And you're like, how is that possible? There's no way, no way. I want caramel lattes and Oreos, not carrots. But your brain does something strange when you get things out of the way you start to realize that you get that sugar out of your system, you start to realize there's sweetness in everything. Now, I just eat cherries, right? Because cherries are just good. Carrots aren't bad either. But nonetheless, out of sight, out of mind. And, and the reality is, if you're not doing things to fuel your, if you're not being intentional to fuel what you're focused on, then you're gonna, you're gonna lose your focus. We all know this is true. And so I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the way a candle works, right? This candle is not fake, it's real, it's on on. It's lit. <laughs> it's lit. All right. So what fuels the candle? You guys are smart. What is it? Air. Air. Oxygen, right? So, but how do you turn a candle off? How do you extinguish a candle? Cut off its oxygen flow. You know, there's something really interesting about us is that our, our faith is, is fueled by engaging with Jesus. And so it's like oxygen to a candle. If we're not spending time in God's word, and we're not spending time in God's community, and we're not spending time at church with God's people, and if we're not spending time with, in prayer with Jesus, it's like we're cutting off the oxygen flow. And so how can we be bold? How can we stand up for our faith? How can we be courageous and brave if there's no oxygen, if there's no engagement with Jesus? Does this make sense, guys? Like, if you guys want to be bold, which God is calling all of us to be bold with our faith, then you have to fuel your faith. And we have to fuel it by engaging with Jesus. And so, it's a question that I want you guys to ask yourself. How are you reminding yourself of the gospel? How are you reminding yourself to be in the word or to be with God's people? It has to be intentional. It's not going to happen on accident. It's got to be something you put in place, just like going to the gym, just like eating carrots, just like doing healthy things, just like taking your car to get the oil changed. You've got to be intentional about engaging with Jesus. Okay, so now 
back to the story. So Peter and John are in prison. They've been threatened. Look at verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they're telling them again, don't you go talk about Jesus anymore. Then they let him go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. Everybody's around them. They're praising God like, man, this is amazing. And so verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief's priests and the elders had said to them. So they go to the priests or they go back to their friends. They're like, hey, the priests are saying, do not talk about Jesus anymore. And so notice verse 29. And now um, they, they, they look and now they're praying to, to God here together. This is cool. This is really cool. They're praying for boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. This is their prayer to God. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all, your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The, the disciples are all gathered together. They're going, God, we want to pray to you. Lord, give us the power. Give us the boldness to be able to stand up because we know the next time we go out there and speak, we're going to get arrested again. Or we're going to get persecuted again. Or somebody's going to throw some stones at us. So how do I get bold? I ask God for boldness. So they're praying, God, make us bold. Make me bold. Give me boldness. And so... Verse 31, and when they had prayed, this is awesome. This hasn't happened yet in here, I don't think, but I'd love it to happen. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I mean, could you imagine, like, we're all praying for boldness, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, like the place starts rumbling, like a jet going overhead. And so it was, it was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Don't miss what they prayed for. They didn't pray for just kind of some general prayer. Oh God, keep me healthy and keep me happy. They're like, God, make me bold. Help me stand bold and keep me happy and healthy, but help me stay bold. And if you know how the story continues, that Peter and John, they go back out. They start teaching Acts chapter five. They get arrested again. They get thrown in jail. That night, an angel comes and opens up the door to the jail. And so in the morning, when the temple guard goes down to pull James and John to get questioned again by the bad guys, they're not there. And so they're like, well, where are they? And somebody's like, they're actually outside preaching again, right? Like they didn't run off. They're like, man, not only did we see Jesus die and rise from the grave, we got angels opening doors for us. Like, I'm going to be bold. So they go back out, and they're bold, and they get arrested again. They get brought back in, which is, which is hilarious. And, and notice this, verse 29 of verse 5. And so they're asking him, like, why did you preach about Jesus? Didn't we tell you to stop preaching about Jesus? And then they get super bold. This is great. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. And God exalted him at the, his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Boy, there's the gospel right there, isn't it? Like notice they didn't get tricky with it. They just, man, there's the straight up true gospel right there. That you guys hung him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead. And that when you ask for forgiveness, your sins are forgiven because Jesus is king now. I love how Tim Keller says it. Tim Keller passed away this week. What a guy that's made such an impact on the church. Tim Keller says that Jesus is our champion because he blew a hole right through the back of death. And that when you enter in, you walk straight through to life. 
And this is what Peter and John are saying, that Jesus blew a hole right through the tomb, right through death, and that salvation is found in no other name, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this is the way it is. You either accept it or you don't. But if you accept it, that's where you find life. Verse 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they, they beat them and charged them not to speak of the name of Jesus. And then they let him go. So they brought him in and they whipped him. They, many scholars think they were flogged. You guys remember, if you remember the story when Jesus was arrested before he went to the cross, he was flogged, terrible punishment. Some scholars that think that they were flogged here. So they've been beaten and they've been whipped. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. What? They're not crying. They're not sobbing. They're not down. They're, they're not walking with their hands in their pockets and their eyes to the floor. They are rejoicing. How can you rejoice? Here's why. They rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For whose name? Jesus' name, right? Isn't that awesome? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice that. They're like, hey, we just got beaten for Jesus. So what? Let's go. We got a mission to carry out here because we know God's gonna just keep opening doors for us as we go. And so I want you not to miss this element of prayer. This is so important here as part of this story. We see that bold prayers are what cultivate a bold faith. So notice them. They were not praying some general prayer. They were praying for bold faith. And it started with bold prayers. And here's what I want to ask you. You might in your life be thinking, man, I need to be more bold. I need to be more strong. I need to be more courageous. But are you praying boldly for where you want the boldness? So I think it's really easy for us sometimes as Christians to go, hey, God, I, I, if it's okay with you, I really would like to get that girl's number. God, if it was okay with you, I really would like to get a promotion at work. Lord, if you have time, would you, would you listen to my prayer? Peter and, and John, they prayed, God, give me what? Boldness. So are you praying boldly? Are you praying specifically? Hey, God, give me boldness. God, help me be the man or the woman you've called me to be. God, give me strength to stand up to the opposition at work. God, give me strength to stand up for my faith at school. God, give me the ability to speak to my neighbor for you. God, give me the ability to be able to talk to my sister who I think is far off from you, that you are the way to fulfillment and life and joy. Because if we don't pray specifically, I think we're gonna miss so much of what God wants to do in and through us. I'm gonna close with a story. There's a man named Hudson Taylor, and some of you know uh, the, the name. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. And one of the really cool things that, that Hudson did was when he went to China, he decided that he wanted to, he really was one of the very first missionaries and he created what's called the China Inland Mission. And he wanted to reach all 11 provinces for Jesus. Well, China was a very hard place to, to go. And so he began praying for missionaries. He began praying for workers. And when he left for China, he had about 16 people that went with him. And so they, they meet and they go and they start telling people about Jesus and pe people start getting saved. And, but, the, but the problem was they, there was 11 provinces in China and they only had made it to two. And so then Hudson and his crew, they start praying. They start praying, God, we want you to send us 50 to 100 people. 
Well, in the midst of that, Hudson gets sick, really sick, almost dies. Loses a couple of his family members. They pass away from sickness. But a couple years later, they're up to 100. So they go from from 17 to 100. And so God's moving. But Hudson, in 1881, decides that he wants to... um, 1886, decide that they need to boldly ask for more workers because they can't reach China. China was too big. It was too dark. It was too difficult. And so Hudson starts praying, God, I want you to send me a hundred new missionaries. And he boldly starts praying. His group starts praying. 600 people filled out an application to go. And by the next year, 102 missionaries landed in China. Between 1887 and by 1905, Hudson Taylor, in the power of God, saved over 30,000 people in China. They had over 800 missionaries on the ground. And they had 2,000 pastors locally they were working with to build and start churches. How did that happen? The power of the Holy Spirit, for sure. But Hudson Taylor prayed specific, bold prayers. And so as as we close and invite the worship team back on stage, this is what I want to ask you guys. What are you praying for? Where do you need to to grow in your boldness? And how do we get specific? You know, God calls us to be, to be bold with our faith. God calls us to, to be people who, who are bold and who, who have lives marked by bold prayers. But it's something that we have to be intentional about. As we talk today, who is that person that God brings to mind? Your neighbor, your coworker, your family member? Where is that area that God's calling you to step out and begin serving? Maybe God, like Hudson Taylor, is telling you it's time to go. But whatever it is, you're going to need boldness. My challenge to you this week is to start praying for boldness. Be specific. Be prayerful. And let the word of God be the oxygen that fuels your fire. Because God wants to use you to do some amazing things. He wants to use us in this church to do some beautiful things. But we can't do it on our own. We need his help every step of the way. You know, I I just think about what would it look like when we step out on this journey to be bold together? How would God change this community, shape this city? Because God's people are bold and we're praying for boldness. So why wait? I would like to start right now. I'm gonna pray for boldness for us as a church and we'll have a, we'll have a, People around, we got Darren and Todd and some of our elders are, are, and Mitch is right here around. And we'd love to pray with you guys. If you wanna to come to the front of the stage and pray, but I just wanna pray for boldness. I wanna pray for you, for God to use you in a bold way. And then we'll take communion together. So let's pray together to be bold.